to see everybody today. Y'all glad to be here? Yeah, after a little, that little blip last week of being online again, uh, my, my wife Karen and I, I guess it's been a little over two, oh, and she's standing here with me. <laughs> uh, a couple of weeks ago, we were in a, a ministry situation, and uh, that, that ended up putting us in, in in direct contact with two people uh, that had COVID. And before we found that out, uh, I'd come back to church that during that week and, and had a full staff meeting and gave it to all the staff. Uh, of course, we, di- we didn't have it, um, but we didn't know that at that time. And uh, just in a, to use that phrase, in an abundance of caution, uh, you know, CDC actually would not, because of their contact with me, would not have required the staff to necessarily be quarantined, but just because of the sheer volume of people that we're in contact with and knowing that there was a question mark there, we, that's why we ended up going online. So grateful that we have a team where we can make that decision so quickly because uh, from the moment I found out that I'd been in contact with uh, uh, people that were positive, uh, was probably within about two or three hours we, we were ready to go online uh, that, that Sunday. So, you know, as we've worked our way through this, and I'm talking about going all the way back to March, whether it's dealing with a mandate or dealing with a situation in the church, uh, we're just kind of praying and working our way through, working from situation to situation or kind of month to month trying to figure this out. I know we've done things that some agree with and some do not agree with, and I hope in your agreeing and disagreeing, you're also praying for us. Uh, that we do navigate this uh, appropriately. And I pray, like all of you, that hopefully we're going to turn a corner here and a change is on the way that that we're going to get this behind us uh, as people start getting vaccinated and so many have had it. I think at some point a lot of us are protected from this. It's kind of interesting how the Lord works. Myself and uh, a number of our staff got vaccinated in the last week or so, and uh, it turns out that the organization that gave us the vaccine was not supposed to. That was a mistake, but <laughs> I don't care how it happened. I got, I got mine. Uh, so, but anyway, it, I just trust that the Lord is, is protecting there, and hopefully uh, with, with a number of us now vaccinated, we don't end up in a situation where we have to, again, stop and, and go online. Even as I say that, this week, uh, again, we're just in contact with so many. Uh, we had several uh, staff members that were in contact with uh, COVID. And so we, we do have a- actually three or four people right now that are, that are quarantined. Uh, pa- Pastor Ham out at our Midlothian campus is, is one of those. So we just kind of work from situation to situation and try to make the right decision. You know, here's one thing that's clear. This is pretty contagious And uh, so, you know, help us protect our gathering through prayer, through wearing a mask, through social distancing as much as possible. You know, it's interesting, from March to November, we could count on two hands and two feet the number of people connected with our church that, that had covid and uh, now you can't count it anymore. There, there, there's a lot. And so this is definitely sweeping through our, our community as, as it's gone through the, the nation. So we really do want to gather. We really do want to protect that. And you can, you can help us uh, with that. Uh, again, you're probably thinking, you really look good today, Pastor. Might be because I have a little scenery up here with me. My wife, Karen. <laughs> I, 
I trust that uh, everybody in here knows her, but I know we've got a lot of new people, maybe hadn't met her or seen her, but this is my wife, Karen, of 33 years, and we dated five years. So we've been around each other forever uh, for two people that aren't even 50 yet-ish, um, uh, 50-ish. Uh, so, but we've uh, been around each other a long time. We have four kids, three grandchildren, two son-in-laws, about to be a daughter-in-law. And because of my submissiveness, we, we now also have something that some people might refer to as a dog. I, it looks like a really skinny rat with legs coming out. I don't know what it is, but I yielded the floor, and, and we have Pepper uh, in, in our home now. But uh, she's, Karen's going to help me uh, a little bit today. Kind of funny, being online last week, and online we kind of moved through the service a little bit differently, and I had a shorter message. Actually, I, I gave the exact same message to husbands that I intended giving online. It came out a little bit quicker, but I had a lot of comments from y'all about how short the message was to the husbands, and why, why was that? And, and I want to answer that for you. I had so many wives come to me and say, Pastor, would you go easy on our husbands? And uh, <laughs> they know every woman knows no woman said that. And uh, they, they, they said, go easy on the husbands, and if you feel a need to unload, just bring it to the wives the next week. So that's what we're doing. Uh, I'm going to take how quick I was last week. We'll double it today and call it even, okay? So, but uh, hey, speaking of last week, I do want to reach into last week and pull out one line. And you might remember the line that God's okay giving us tough assignments. You know, the goal's holiness, And we're doing that in a broken world. There's not always an easy and a fun way to do that. And I say that because I think sometimes, at least in the American brand of Christianity, we kind of get caught up thinking that all God's really doing is making our lives warm and soft and fuzzy and happy. It's just candy canes and gumdrops. And that's not the case. God has tough assignments for us, and why wouldn't he? He took on tough assignments to rescue you and me from sin and death and hell. He took on the tough assignment of loving you while you rejected him. And not just while you rejected him, but with sometimes each word, with each action, with each attitude on a, oh, I don't know, daily basis, you, me, we mock who God is, mock his character. And the life that he has for us. And it was in the midst of that that he loved us. And of course, God loving us, God taking on that tough assignment resulted in him giving a tough assignment to his son that landed his son on the cross. And the son, listen, received that assignment submissively. He received that assignment. And last week we said, the scripture said that, that when the will of the father landed in the hands of the son, it prospered there. What's that, what's that mean? It, prospered. it means it grew, it thrived, it accomplished not only everything was a, it was intended, but even just fruit bearing above and, above and beyond. And man, I don't know about you, but I mean, don't you want the will of God to prosper in your hands? I, I, I want it to prosper in mine. And, and I know that when I say, God, hey, I want, I want all of your will to, to prosper when it lands in my hands. I know there's going to be some tough assignments for that. Maybe like for a husband, that word sacrifice. Or, or for a wife, that word submit. 
You know, as we have walked through these several weeks now, we, we have learned that God's purpose for the family, we, we think what's to be happy and loving and all that. No, God's purpose is holiness. And, and that in and through these, well, all relationships, but primarily through those family relationships that I'm learning about God. And then what I learn about God, I exercise being like God. And as I'm exercising being like God, guess what I find out? It's hard. Which makes me just appreciate him and his love and his grace and his service. It makes me appreciate him even more. And so there's all this growth this way in in holiness. And also then through doing that, I'm demonstrating God through certain relationships, key relationships, showing God to the world. And that's the assignment of everybody in the home through all kinds of ways and things that we learn about God. But then we get to Ephesians 5 and 6 and we learn that while I I, I want to demonstrate God in all of the ways, He actually gives me as a husband, He gives the wife, He gives the parents, He gives children, He gives each one in the home a specific responsibility for growing in holiness, showing God. And, and last week we saw if we were to pick a key word for the husbands, it would be that word sacrifice. And for the wives, it would be that word submit. You ever been a, a part of a group project, maybe at work or at school? The, the, the group has something they need to accomplish and the teacher or the boss hands out assignments. Here's the role you'll play in accomplishing this project and you and you and you and you get your role and you look at it and look at somebody else's and I, I don't want mine. Could I, could I get their job? <laughs> you know, it's interesting, this, this word submission and, and what, it, what it does to us. Honestly, I don't think any of these words are easy. I think all of these words will give everybody in the home, in our sin, a chance to look to heaven and say, this isn't fair. I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. They're all challenging. But that word submission seems to ignite, incite a little more response to it. You know, you think about the, the words, that, that, the other words in the, in the family that, that God's given, the word sacrifice or the word honor or obey. You know, I'm thinking about why does that word submit draw the attention that that it does. I mean, when I say attention, folks, people don't mock Christianity. They don't mock the Bible because a a husband's been called to sacrifice or children have been called to honor and obey. But you realize we live in a world that literally mocks the entire Bible for the singular idea of submission. And I'm not implying there's not other reasons, but that clearly would be one of the top two or three reasons that people reject Christ, God, the scriptures, that idea of of a wife and a, a woman submitting. And I try to think, why does that word draw the attention that it that it does? And I and I think there's a handful of reasons, but one kind of neutral idea was just, you know, when you hear the words sacrifice or honor or obey, and those are hard words, those, those are difficult to do at times, but when you hear those three words, all those words have noble ideas attached to them. They have positive pictures in our mind when we hear those words. But when you say the word submit, I, I don't think anything noble comes to our mind. I, I don't think there's a positive picture that comes to our mind. I, when we hear the word submit, it almost sounds like somebody's been conquered. 
somebody's been defeated, whoever, whatever has been submitted now has clearly no heart, no mind, no will of their own anymore. Is that, is that how God thinks about women? Is, is, is that God's mind? Now, again, while our minds might be kind of blank when we hear the word submit, uh, other than maybe a negative thought, that doesn't mean that's what's going on in God's mind. The, the word submit is a word God pulled onto himself. It's a word he calls for the entire Christian body, the entire body of Christ. This is a key character quality we are to all take on. But I think before we can understand that word, we've got to reconcile with God. <laughs> we've got to clear up, hey, God, where are you on, on women? What, what, what are you doing here? Did you put them in this second-class role? And, I, you know, I think with just a couple of passages, I mean, sentences, we can make it real clear where God is on, on women. Look up here. I, I, at least this first one I think is a pretty familiar passage. Genesis one twenty seven. God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And then look at First Peter chapter 3. You husbands in the same way live with your wives in an understanding way. In other ways in a respectful way. Show her honor. Show her value as a fellow, as an equal, as a co-heir of the grace of life. So you take, you take just these two sentences, just the grammatical structure of Genesis one twenty seven. the male and the female are in two equal positions. They were both created by the same person, and they were both created in the same model, the image of God. And the, the way the sentence is structured, these are two equal beings. They're, they're, they are the same. Before God, so right, right out of the first page of the Bible, we're seeing the equality of men and women, which is interesting because humanity, history, has not been kind to women. It's a, this is a dangerous place to live on Earth if you're a woman. It's it's not the same for a woman. And so, please note on the first page of our scriptures, God is saying, "I created them equal." And knowing how humanity has continued to be to women, we get to 1 Peter 3, and, and God says, hey, husbands, you better treat her as an equal. Because one day you're going to stand before me, and she's going to stand beside you as a co-heir, a, a, as an equal with you. I don't look at her as something less than you or below you. She is a, an equal to you. And that should, when you envision that out there in the future, that should impact how you treat her today. So just in two sentences of the Bible, I can go all the way back to the beginning, all the way out to the end, or stop here in the present. And God is clearly saying, this person is equal. And is to be treated and respected as such. That's the voice that God has been speaking into this world. Now I know somebody here is thinking, well now, wait a minute. I know I've heard some passages that really do put women in their place, right? I mean, aren't, aren't you hiding those? Yeah, let's pull one of them out. And right now somebody's thinking, no, 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 no. I brought my friend. Don't pull that out. I can't explain that. I'm, I'm about to show you a verse. This, this embarrasses us. This is embarrassing in our world today. God, you can't say that. What did God say? The man is the head of the woman. Oh, gosh, Lord, how am I supposed to clean that up? 
You know, we look at that and think, well, what is God saying there? Well, you know, whatever God is saying there, we might get a clue, we might get some insight by looking to what he sets up as a parallel relationship, a parallel structure. So I I don't know what this means, that, that the man is the head of the woman, but whatever it means, it seems to be similar to the idea that God is the head of Christ. And I know what the scriptures teach about the Holy Trinity, the relationship between the Father and the Son and the Spirit, and nowhere in that relationship is someone inferior, is someone unequal, is, is somebody in a less than position. No, nobody in the Trinity is told, we don't need to hear what you think on this. It, we'll, we'll just save that for later. No, there's nothing like that in the Trinity. So if I'm trying to figure out what it is that the man is the head of the woman, I can look to that relationship and get some idea. And whatever that is supposed to mean, it has nothing to do with a woman being in a less than position. You know, when I was growing up in the 70s and 80s, as a a female, I was bombarded. We all were bombarded. We still are today with the message that... um, we need to go out and be just like the man, and no man should be over us, and we don't need to be in the home. We can do everything that the man does, and, you know, everything has to be 50-50, and we're going to be in charge just like they are, and so we burnt our aprons, we burnt our bras. You can't, you can't say bra. I'm not... Here's me not being submissive. Bra. So so we went out and we're like, yeah, we're going to be everything that the man is. And we're going to take over and take charge. And we're going to have just everything that they have, right? We're going to take over like their role. But then I got saved. And I got a Bible. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't grow up. Um, with the Bible, I grew up in a, a home full of fighting and and uh, emotional and physical abuse. It ended up being a in, in a divorce. So I, you know, I, I just really didn't know anything. I, but then I got saved. I got a Bible. I started reading who I was in Christ, that he's loved me with an everlasting love. That there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. Um, that uh, nothing can separate us from the love of God, not even myself. And, you know, I, I started to realize how much he's loved me. He's sealed me with his spirit. He's given me every spiritual blessing. He started building me up. And then I realized he's made me equal, just like Randy just said, um, and that men and women are the same before Christ. And But not only that, he says in his words, not only am I a co-heir with my husband, I'm a co-heir with Christ. We're co-heirs with Christ as his children. It blew me away. And so God's building me up, and he's filling me with this contentment. And all of a sudden, his word is beautiful, and it's perfect without error, and it's holy. It's its very words, and it goes deep into our soul. The Holy Spirit uses every word in that Bible to change us and to 
to make us more like him. And he's filling me with this contentment. And all of a sudden, it's not what the world has for me. But rather now I can die to myself because I know who I am in Christ Jesus. And it's what Christ threw me for the world. What I have for the world. And so this contentment comes over me. And I'm able to accept his authority. His purpose. His plan. Everything he says in his word. I'm able to accept it because he loves me and he died for me. And I'm able to accept this plan, but it's not always easy. Yeah, you know, that you just said, dying to yourself. That's a, that would be a great definition of submission and what it means to die to ourself, to, to love and serve others. You know, as we have walked through now three, three, I guess today's fourth Sunday, three, four weeks of looking at this. And I've been communicating this idea that our home, the relationships in the home are a, a way to grow in holiness, a way to demonstrate God. That clearly is the key thing, the big thing that God is doing, but it's not the only thing God is doing. Folks, in the roles that God gives us, he is also addressing, are you ready for this? He's also addressing our sin. You know, the big problem, the big challenge in your marriage is not God. And it's not God's role for you. That's not the problem. The problem in our marriage is our sin. Let me talk to you what I'm referring to there. I'm not talking about what you did this week. That's the problem. Let let me show you. Look at Genesis 3.16. It says, uh, this is Genesis 3, yet your desire, he's speaking to Eve, yet your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Now, that, both of those lines need some, need some definition. That word desire, okay, he's saying to Eve, that's not talking about a romantic desire that your heart's just going to go thump, thump, thump for your, your husband. Let me, let me back up. In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve have chosen sin. They've chosen, said, hey, you know what? We're going to take a run at being God. Don't really need your word. Don't really need your way. We'll go our own way. And God, through the rest of Genesis 3, says, okay, now here's, here's the consequences of the decision you've made. I, he says this out of grace and kindness. I, you, you've chosen a road. I need to let you know what you're going to find on that road. And he begins to outline for him, hey, that the impact of your decision on your relationship with the environment, your, your relationship with me, your relationship with yourself, and your relationship right here. And so a lot of Genesis 3 is outlining the impact of sin on these different areas. And that's where 3.16 pops up. And he says to Eve, your desire will be for your husband. We can understand that word actually in Genesis 4. We see the same word used. And it says sin, is, God's talking to Cain. And he says sin is crouching at your door and its desire is for you. The idea behind that word desire is to master. That, that, that sin's crouching at your door and it wants to capture you. It wants to master you. And so what God is saying is, you know, Eve, I created you to be a helper, not a derogatory term. God uses multiple times that term of himself in relationship with us. He is our, our helper. He said, I created you to be a helper and now you're going to be a competitor. That, that's the general impact of sin in this battle of the sexes, in this battle of the genders, is you will now be a competitor to him. And husbands, I created you to be a loving leader. Now you're going to use your size, you're going to use your position to dominate. 
to control. It won't be sacrifice that guides you. It will be selfishness that guides you. And so when you understand what God is saying in Genesis 3, all of a sudden you realize, hey, these direct commands to the husband and wife in Ephesians 5 are specifically addressing what happened back there in Genesis 3. God is speaking to our general nature, our tendency to sin as a man and a woman in a marriage, and and he gives us a direction there. No, um, when I first learned that that curse that came upon all of us, and it's in all of us women were born with this, that we would have this desire to master our husbands. I'm like, oh my goodness, that's so true. I thought so too. It's totally me. <laughs> that's totally me. Everything inside of me wants to say, oh my goodness, you don't know what you're doing. And I want to take over the steering wheel and, you know. And what happens is, Daily. as I'm doing this, saying, Daily. I know better. You don't know what you're doing. I want to take control. Um, I'm showing him disrespect. And the number one need of a man is not sex. It's respect. And so Satan is using this thing that we're born with to take over. And we're like, and we're fighting. And we're being ugly to each other. But now that I know... I've learned this. I can be aware of, oh, watch out. Be careful. Don't want to take over. Don't take charge. Don't master him. Rather, I need to submit to him. And then another passage that really helped me was what Randy mentioned, that when God created Adam, he said, you know, something's not good. You're not good. I will create a helper for you. So he creates a woman to be a helper to the husband. And what's incredible about that word, it's the very word that Jesus uses to describe the Holy Spirit. He says in John, after I go, I will send my helper to you. You see, I have the very job description as the Holy Spirit. And what an honor and a privilege is that God calls me the same exact word that Jesus calls his spirit. So as the Holy Spirit is working in and through you and me and throughout the world to glorify Christ, to use all things for good, um, to give us a victory in every situation, he's, he's using his spirit. He gives us gifts and he lets us be a demonstration of his spirit when we speak. I mean, God's using his spirit to glorify Christ. He says... This is the role of the woman, to be a helpmate to the husband so I can help him and then help make all his dreams come true, to help him to be more like Christ, to build him up in the Lord, to help my children. I'm a helper to them. Help my church. I'm a helper to you, my community. So God gave me the role and the position as a helper. Matthew Henry, who wrote a very large commentary, it's this big, or thick, and I bought mine in Petersburg Antique Store. He says it this way in his commentary that I love. says it this way. He says, She was not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. Paul wrote that the woman is the glory of man, 
I know that's right. <laughs> and for if man is the head, then the woman is the crown that honors his head. We are like diamonds. And so we are a, a helper. Elizabeth Elliot, who served as a missionary with her husband um, to the Aka Indians, her husband was Jim Elliot, and he was martyred. She wrote many, many books. I just picked this one out of Randy's um, library right here, The Liberty of Obedience. But she wrote this book, and I read it. It's about this thick. It's a little book. It's called Let Me Be a Woman. Oh, my goodness. It was so profound. And everything she said, I was like, I never knew, I never knew, I never knew. But the premise of the book is, what if in the Garden of Eden, when Satan's tempting Eve, and he said, you don't need to be a woman, you can be like God. Knowing good and evil. Eat the apple. Disobey God so you can be like God. And then what if in the garden, instead of Eve saying, take this apple and eat it, just eat it. What if instead she said to Satan, no, I don't need to be God. I don't need to take charge over my husband. Let me be a woman. Let me have joy in the role God's designed for me to be a helper, not only to my husband, but to even to the world. Yeah. So you talk about that design that God's given us. Let's go ahead and remind ourselves of that. If you have your Bible, turn to Ephesians 5, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. And uh, let me start in verse 21, Ephesians five twenty-one, and it says... And further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now that's a verse spoken to the spiritual family. This is for the whole body of Christ. A character quality every one of us is to be working on in our relationship with each other is submission. And so now think of, think of if, like God was standing here and said, hey, I want everybody working on this. Now, I know we're all getting ready to go to our cars and go home. Listen, as you go home, I want to call the wives in here real quickly. Hey, hey, wives, would you do this? Would you pick up this quality and would you demonstrate it in your home so that your husband, your kids get it? That, that it looks beautiful, that this is something they desire. I'm going to trust you specifically with this word. He gave so, us the toughest job. Say that again? He gave us the toughest job. He, yeah. yeah. It's for the smart. Well, well, we'll talk about that later. Uh, <laughs> so he says, so why? So remember, everybody needs to submit. So he, then he moves from the spiritual family to the physical family. And he starts outlining what submission looks like for each person. Not just for the wife, for each person. What stands out to us is the wife gets the same word. Okay? For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is head of the church. He's the savior of the body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. So that word submit, let, let's just go ahead and define it real quickly as we're moving through this. In the Greek language at this time period, in other words, when that word was written on a piece of paper, how did people hear and understand that word? It was primarily a word used in a military context, a military setting. And it was an idea that, that when everybody comes together, 
for this to be really effective, we need the we need the colonel to do what a colonel does. We need the corporal to do what a corporal does. We need the first sergeant to do what the first sergeant does. We need the second lieutenant to do what the second lieutenant does. When everybody plays their function, that's what this word is about, functionality. When everybody plays their function, their role, guess what? The military succeeds. And so that same idea is brought into a marriage. Not who's better, not who's more than. Here's a function. It's a functional word in the roles that we've been given. And say, well, okay, I kind of know what that looks like in the military, but what does that look like in a marriage? And so he says, well, okay, and we hear again for the second time now, the husband is the head of the wife. This time, though, the parallel structure is not God and Christ. It's Christ and the church. So if the wife is saying, okay, what does this mean? What does this look like? So God says, well, look at how the church relates to Christ. The church trusts Christ. The church follows Christ. The church seeks to obey Christ. Now, honestly, if I'm a wife, then right now I'm raising my hand and say, yeah, but I can trust Christ. (laughs) Right? And, you know, think about it. As the church, as the bride of Christ, we don't always like what he says. We don't always do what he says. But I'm assuming for the most part, that's not because we don't think he's good. Even when I'm disobeying him, I trust that Christ is good. I trust that what he's telling me has my best interest, our best interest at heart. And so I can always trust that about Christ. But couldn't, couldn't a wife pretty legitimately say, but I can't always trust that my husband's good. I, I can't always trust that he has mine or our best interest at hand. And I don't know how to answer that. So Karen, you take a shot. You know, I, I was taught, and this has really helped me a lot um, by some older women in our church, the key as a wife to submitting to a husband who is not perfect. Husbands aren't perfect. Randy's a really good husband, and he's very good at sacrificing and striving instead of 50-50 to make it 100-100% in our marriage and out-serving me and, and so forth. So he's, he's pretty easy to submit to. But when it's a situation where we don't agree on, and I've tried, you know, in my big fat Greek wedding, the man's the head, but the woman's the neck. <laughs> that movie. I love that line. And I've tried to turn his head the right way, you know. And the he, right way? Yeah. yeah. Wait a minute. You're assuming my way was the wrong way. But to try to, to um, get us to agree and we don't, I can remember the key is that it's unto the Lord. It's like... I'm looking at Randy, but right beyond and above Randy is Jesus. And even though Randy may not be perfect and Randy makes mistakes, Jesus is perfect. He never makes a mistake. And Jesus is never selfish. He always loves perfectly. And I want to tell Jesus I love him. And the way I tell Jesus I love him is to obey him. I can trust Jesus to take my obedience in the situation that I don't fully understand and to, to, to just trust him. And that he will use it for good. You know, this Christmas we had um, 12 people in our house for two weeks. And then um, another person for seven days within that. So 13 people for at least seven days. And so we were tired. And um, my mom and I fell asleep on the couch. And I woke up and he was sitting with the kids. And they were talking. And the tones didn't seem right. I thought, wonder what's going on. So I walked over there and I said, what's going on? 
And Randy looked at me with these eyes, like, mad and hurt and angry. And he said, we'll talk about it later. And I thought, why do you got to talk to me that way right there and there? And I said, I, I said, why can't I know right now? And so we went, eh. And then later on that night, we went, Karen, you should, this is making us look awful. Because none of these people... Have ever had a fight at Christmas time in their home? And I know they don't. Our have, home's the only home that's done that. And I know they don't have any that. broken dishes or anything either. <laughs> so, but we were like, Rawr! and um, but then we woke up, and I explained to him while I was angry, and then he explained to me the whole situation, and I realized I didn't know anything that was going on. And those eyes weren't toward me. It was he was upset about something. And as I listened to the whole context of what was going on, I felt so bad that I let the heat of the moment and all the passion and emotion rule me instead of submitting unto the Lord and helping him when he needed the help. And so I said I was sorry. You said you were sorry. And we grabbed hands and went through the next day together because that's what marriage is. It's two people apologizing for not doing what we're supposed to do. And so um, it's very important, women, when you have a situation, or even if you have a husband that doesn't want to be the spiritual leader, it's not very kind, it's not nice, it's very worldly. Even if you have a situation where he's not where you want him to be in his walk with the Lord, God says, submit as unto me. First Peter Three, one through five says this. He gives us further instruction on how this looks like. He says, Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see your purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or finer clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands. So what God is telling us here is that submission, that gentle and quiet spirit, which goes against our nature, right? We desire to master and take over. He can use our obedience to him as a tool to shape and make our husbands more Christ-like when we are truly helping them. This is hard, but God's spirit helps us. And the way we, we have his power for that grace and mercy to submit with this gentle and quiet spirit is with a quiet time. The key to a successful life, a successful marriage, is a quiet time. It's always the most important thing about us. And if you only have busy moms, like I'm looking at my class, so many people in my class with all the kids of the world, and going and going and going, and if you only have five minutes, give them that five minutes. If you only have um, just a little bit to pray, just start. Charles Spurgeon said, we shouldn't look into another man's face until we've looked into the face of God. Because with God, he pours his love into us with his words, his 
his grace, his mercy through his spirit. And then we're able to look at our husbands, not to find my needs met. My need has been, my person's been met in Jesus. But I can look at my husband to be his helpmate. He's not my God. God's my God. And so some of you have quiet times that are 30 minutes long. Some of you have quiet times that are an hour long because you're reading through the Bible. I was looking at Ricky Sorensen. He's reading through the Bible. It takes me about three years to read through the Bible. I always have to reread a lot of passages. But, um... So, but you start, and then all of a sudden, if you're, those that have those quiet times for an hour and 30 minutes, they start it with five, five minutes. And you learn to live with that quiet time, and it's the key. And you walk with God now, 35 years for me, and I think, I don't want to live a day without my quiet time. I need Jesus. I need more time with him. So, that quiet time is key for this this fulfillment of God's design that we're talking about in marriage. The second important thing, women, is we need other women. Women need women because we want to talk and help each other. And the Bible commands older women, teach the younger women. And so since we've been in ministry, since I've gotten saved, I've been in a women's Bible study. I love our women's Bible study. And we have them semester after semester. And I'm like, well, COVID's happening. What are we? We're still meeting. And we're starting this Thursday. We're meeting over Zoom. You can register for it at thv.church. We have options every semester. And we have women pouring into other women saying, you're not alone. I do understand. And semester after semester, fall and spring, I'm being poured into by the older women. Now, I'm the older woman, not as old as Tina was. I wanted to say that. (laughs) But now we're the older women, and we're trying to teach the younger women these truths straight from God's word. And so um, I was thinking specifically apples of gold. I love apples of gold. This year would have been our 20th anniversary except for COVID. And uh, it's a ministry where the older women teach the younger women how to love God and their families. And I was thinking about a woman in there. Every semester, she would teach about submission. Her name was Iris. Her name is Iris. She's here. (laughs) (laughs) She still is Iris. I still love her so much. But all those women, all of them, I see a lot of them out here. All of them, they just, she would teach, Iris would teach about submission, and she was so transparent. And she would always talk about the struggle of it. But every time she talked, it built me up to go home and to be a better wife and to fight harder for this because it's God's design. And and it's such a great help, this women's ministry that we have. It's here for you. The church is still here for you. You're not alone. We do understand. And we're to come alongside, encourage you, and build you up. Yeah. You know, Karen, I was... Thinking back to the, the the practicality and the goodness of our God, when you when you talk about that argument, you know God's not saying, "Ladies, submit," because odds are your husband's right. That, that's not it. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> God, I, I wasn't making a joke, honey. I know. <laughs> um, uh, See, it's natural. It, See how we think naturally. You, you know, submission isn't. For when everybody agrees, right? And, and you know, hopefully you're building a good marriage and a lot of decisions, a lot of things going on. There's agreement. But, 
agreements never. No, nobody, no marriage is batting a thousand on agreement. That, that just is not going to be the case. That's not going to happen for a lot of reasons. And so you have these moments, whether it's just a flare-up or whether it's a long, ongoing decision about finances or something you're doing with the kids or moving or something like that, and you, and you disagree. And so the, the practicality of submission is some, if somebody doesn't yield... You will devour one another. You, you will devour each other. And when you're devouring each other, nobody's seeing Christ in that moment. Nobody's growing in holiness in that moment. And you're saying, wait, so God gave the woman the responsibility of the one being the, 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 the one who, who brings it to a pause? and a st- Yeah, he did. There's hard assignments all the way around. But this isn't women submit because your husband's right. He's saying, I'm giving you the function of keeping this home from devouring itself. Now watch this, men. If she actually obeys that, that now means it's all on me. I stand before God for the decision we're making, the course we're taking, even if it's just a flare-up and there's no big decision. Where it goes from here, she's yielded the floor. She's obeyed God. And now as the head, the head, the head means I'm always right. No, the head means you stand first before God for where that home, that day, that decision went. So the moment she yields, you now stand before God on your own. This is where you gulp. And say, oh God, help me. God didn't say you're the head because he wanted it to be your way. He put on you the head because you will stand before him for everything she yields the floor to. The bottom line is submission works. If, if your goal is God's will. If your goal is for, for God's will to prosper in your hands, for there to be holiness, for there to be a demonstration of the Lord, for there to be intimacy, for there to be oneness. If that's your goal, submission works. If that's not your goal, I wouldn't try submission. But if it's your goal, God's given you the way for it to work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I I lift up to you all of our wives and the challenge before them of demonstrating to their husband, to their children, and to the entire body of Christ the beauty of what you've called the entire body of Christ to submission. And Lord, as, as Karen just described, Lord, there's so many situations, questions that, that this raises that, that we, Karen and I acknowledge we haven't answered all of the things that are going on out there. But Lord, that that picture Karen gave of behind the husband, keep their eyes on Jesus. And Lord, I pray that our, our husbands would be so very, very careful for being submitted unto. And that we would recognize and realize that's the place that I'm leading this home, I'm leading our marriage to stand before God and answer for. And uh, Lord, we need your wisdom, we need your help in doing that. And Lord, I thank you for these words, sacrifice. I thank you for these words, submission, words that you live, words that you display 
that you've called us to. God, thank you for the beauty and the functionality of your good word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray this. Amen.